Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And we are so excited to get started in our brand new reading plan, Promises of God. Our content director, John, is back with us as we talk about the heart behind this reading plan, why we wanted to do it, why we were afraid to do it, and where it landed. We're so excited to dig into this with you guys. We've been waiting on this for months now, and it is just right on time. So let's go. It was so encouraging to see, I think N.T. Wright wrote an article that the New York Times or maybe Time Magazine picked up, and he was talking about that like he was saying, like, believers, if you feel heavy right now, there's a reason for that. God is in control. That is true. And like, go to the Psalms and see that we are meant to lament heartache and hardship. And like, it is right right now to lament. And I just needed to hear that. Like, I needed to like hear this naming of this feeling that we've been having as, oh, no, like, we shouldn't just be walking around all jolly golly. Yeah. Yes, we have the joy of the Lord, but also... Like there is a lot to lament right now. We're all grieving something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And some of us, some really heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. One, and even just like looking at the world around us, there's a lot of heavy stuff to lament and mm-hmm. not even, you know, not even counting our own personal experiences. Yeah. Well, that's an upper to start. <laughs> that's an, we don't have to use that as our opener, but, but we um, can because we that's kind of where we all are. But I love how I just continue to be so thankful that God is a better editorial calendar and podcast planner than we are (laughs) because everything's right on time. And we did not, you know, we couldn't have seen this coming. We plan, you know, listeners may not know that we start to plan reading plans over a year in advance and then really start mm-hmm. digging in several months in advance. So like there's not a way to other than predicting like holidays or general seasons, like there's not a way to know what's going to be going on in the world. But there there are some things that we can be really agile about, but this is not one of them. There's right. just so much that goes into a reading plan and a book and even marketing that and preparing the community for it that we just rely on the Lord. I mean, we bow our heads and lay our faces flat when we prepare an editorial calendar for a reason. And yeah. I'm so thankful that this week we are starting three weeks of the promises of God when everything feels just totally upside down. Well, and Rachel, even knowing that this has been a reading plan that you've kind of carried in your heart and longed to see come to fruition for years. And I'm, you know, grateful the timing and knowing that and knowing that now is when God chose for our team and the She Reads Truth community and He Reads Truth community to enter into this is kind of baffling. Like, it's just mind boggling to know that, like, He planted that seed in you years ago, and then this is going to be perfectly on time, right on time. I'm trying to think back to when the Rachel Myers Promises of God book campaign began <laughs> internally in the office because I was just walking around with a sandwich board, like, we've got to do this plan. I think it was about a year ago, actually, 
there had been a lot leading up to it. Like you're saying, Amanda, like for the last several years, this has been something that's been stirring in me. I think about a year ago, I really started a campaign and I tried to first pitch this plan in an editorial meeting. I was like, guys, here's the deal. I really think we need to do a full reading plan about the promises of God. And immediately kind of everybody put their hands on the table and pushed back, like pushed away from the table. Maybe if not literally figuratively, like that's what it felt like. Because at She Reads Truth, we want to be so careful about the way we handle the word of truth. But I really pushed into it and just said, no, it needs to exist. I can't find something like this. We need to create this resource for our community. We need to give them something that they can hold on to. We need to give them a physical list of the promises of God that they can count on. Because I kept hearing people around me that I trust and love saying, there are so many promises of God. Like, you don't have to make stuff up. You don't have to listen to the world because God promises things. And I kept going, okay, where? Like, show me that list. Like, I want to see the list of promises. And it was hard to, like, get the team on board. So I took on a new campaign where no longer did I pitch in meetings, but I remember going into our managing editor's office and closing the door and just giving my pitch directly to her and just going like, hey, listen, Jessica, when I get on stage and I talk about truth and truth adjacent and how we don't have to make stuff up and we don't have to listen to the world make stuff up because God's promises are everything we need and that there are plenty of them and we can stake our lives on them. And I said, Jessica, if you're telling me we can't do a reading plan, about the promises of God, then I got to stop saying that on stage. Like, I got to stop saying that we can list them and name them. Like, I want to list them and name them. And I really kind of cornered everybody in the office. And then, you know, eventually everyone relented. We all and gave I feel up. great about that. But like, Amanda, in fairness, it, it makes me sound like I'm on this like high horse of like, nobody else cares. And it's just me. <laughs> but so let's give the other side of that. Like, will you talk about why the pushback? Well, I remember for me, this began in those talks, like you and I would go and speak sometimes together, sometimes not. And we don't speak a lot publicly, but when we do or not did, at all right now, right, not at all right now. <laughs> but when we did, this was sort of a common theme that we were constantly just inviting women to open their Bibles. That's what we do. That right. is what right. we will always say if you give us a stage to stand on. And, and that is just, what runs in our veins. Right. And so, and it was always that. I mean, even down to the prayer that we pray for one another before we speak on stage, we always pray like, Lord, help everything that we say to be true. Because mm-hmm. we, it's the Spurgeon quote that you use mm-hmm. often where it's like, it's, what is it? I don't want to misquote it. He says that discernment isn't knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's the difference between knowing right and almost right. Yeah. And we can apply that, you know, to truth, true and almost true. And we can apply that to God's promises. Like this is a promise from God. Well, this sounds like a promise from God, but it's not. And so we would always exactly what you said. Like to me, this seed was planted on those stages and in conversations with women that we would speak in front of or speak to where we told them, we promised them (laughs) that God's promises were true. And so you were right to say, well, then what are they? And on one hand, I do think that it's good to just open God's word and say they're right here. But we do, I think we're right to want a handhold and to say like, okay, but let's dig in and let's find mm-hmm. some. And so in this reading plan is by no means all of God's promises, but we have 
kind of challenged ourselves to say, okay, what are some of God's promises from Scripture, and how are those true? And so when we were pushing away from the table, (laughs) it was exactly that. It was not wanting to misrepresent God's Word or to be... um, We take it very seriously when we speak on God's behalf or when we say Mm -hmm. something that we believe that God has said. And we, you know, we only want to say something on God's behalf that He has already said to us in Scripture. And we have an internal rule. At She Reads Truth, we don't make promises that only God can make. And we err on the side of caution with that. Like, yes. we, will, we will take three steps further back than we need to out of care for the community. Right. You're never going to hear us say, this study book or this reading plan is the key to understanding such and such, or we promise that your life is going to look like this after Mm -hmm. you read this with us. And because that's not our promise to make. And so, you know, the heart of pushing back against this plan was, A, well, there isn't a plan like this for a reason. Because we want to approach this with caution in the same way that when we studied attributes of God and we created that study book and when we created the names of God study book like those were things that we we approach every reading plan with caution and the same here because like you said there's a reason that this doesn't exist because this is something that needs to be handled with a lot of care and study do we have enough care and study time even to give to it hey john yeah, you're here too I, I mean one of the things that like for me when we started talking about this plan that Yeah, I push back because I have seen so many times where someone will take something that Scripture says and they've quoted it accurately, but they've applied it in a way that makes me wince a little bit, right? Like, for example, you always hear people say, you know, I know the plan, you know, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Jeremiah 29, 11. And the problem is, I mean, it's it's in Scripture, it's, it's what, you know, the text says, but you know, I've seen so many people misapply it. They take it to be a promise from God for just about anything from, you know, winning a soccer game to um, financial security to, you know, some really risky behavior. And they say, well, God has plans for me. And and it says right there in his word. And so there's a little bit of fear, like we don't want to promote that sort of reading of scripture because there's a, there was a context, there was a, a specific time and place in which those words were spoken. Which we just got to read a couple of weeks ago, and right. we actually got to talk about this verse with, oh, it was Lisa yeah. Harper. Mm-hmm. John, that's one of the verses that, like when you talk about like misunderstanding promises in scripture, like for me, I had such a like, that is Old Testament, it is out of, people take that out of context, and I like set it aside, like yeah. that's not for me. And like, that was the mistake that I made, which is the opposite mistake of what other people made. Yeah. And I think that's like what you're hitting on is exactly the, the the issue. Like when I when we started digging in, when we all decided as a team, like okay, you know, Rachel feels strongly about this, and we get the why <laughs> and and the the reasons why we should do this. It was you know it was up to me to sort of sit down with the Bible and say like, how do we do this in a way that's faithful to what God is actually saying? I don't want to, I don't want to kill people's joy. You know, like when they read scripture, I don't want them to constantly be second guessing, like, did God really intend this for me? So there's that fine line to walk, but. This is the like slightly humorous thing about all of this is that 
I somehow get the privilege of like running around the office going, I really want to do this. Like I'm advocating for the community and I really think this is a great idea and this needs to exist. And the win, what winning looks like in that is John, (laughs) our content director, who rightly puts on the brakes so often and needs to, is him going to his office and going, okay, I'm going to like give this its fair shot. I'm going to like look into this. And so John is, so even though I'm the one that you can thank for fighting for this for you guys, you're welcome. John is actually the one that you can thank because this reading plan would not have existed were it not for him really wrestling down and even like thinking through. So it's a three week plan and he's divided it into these three kind of sections Anyway, I just, I'm sorry to interject, but no. that's the conclusion of that story. And it's not just Rachel really wanted to do a thing. She campaigned all over the office for a long time and John relented. And then it was actually his work to actually make it happen. So thank you, John. We all thank you. Thanks. Uh, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, really, and, and Jessica uh, Lamb had a big part in this too. She did, you know, prior to leaving for maternity leave, set me up with, she went and did some research and had some notes. And I mean, she just had a ton of information that was helpful. Part of the reason we have the three weeks the way they are is because of her work. But when I started digging in, I hit upon this verse and it became our key verse for the plan. And I, you know, I'll just read it and then I'll explain kind of the, the crisis that I had. It's second Corinthians one twenty. We actually use the NIV rather than the CSB for our key verse in the books And online, it's for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And I had this crisis because I'm reading this verse going, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So it wasn't like most of the promises, the ones you get in the New Testament, it wasn't the ones that you can specifically identify as being universal truths for all Christians or all believers. It was for no matter how many there are, how many they are, there are yes in Christ. And I bumped up against that and I go, how is that true? You know, started getting me digging toward how do I make, how do I then present this? And what I found was so beautiful that, like, I don't want to go back. And I'm so excited to have people read this plan because I think it really frames how we read the whole story of Scripture in a way that, you know, most of us don't on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, when we ask as an organization after reading Scripture, do you believe this is true? We do answer, I do, or we do. When you read that verse, John, like, there's a crisis of, like, okay, if I really believe this is true— then what does that mean? Like, how does that change things? And that's like, that was the turning point of where this book became something that had to happen. And that process encourages me because I think this is the way that we ought to approach scripture where we don't just ask questions of the text that feel safe. You know, like you Mm -hmm. weren't saying, Rachel, hey, I really want to do this reading plan and here's exactly how I think it should work and here are the conclusions that I have already made. You didn't know the answer to the questions. You were just saying, this is important and I think we need to do it. And you are trusting your team to do the work in the same, you know, in the way that you just said John dug in and did the work and Jessica and the rest of the editorial team. And that's so encouraging to me because I want to believe that God's word can withstand my questions. And I do believe that mm-hmm. it can. And that mm-hmm. if God's word is true, which I believe that it is, and if it does not 
contradict itself, which I don't believe that it does. I believe that my understanding is limited. And so I don't always understand how the pieces fit. But I want to be brave enough and bold enough to ask questions, even if I don't right away find the answer. Exactly. And one of the things that we've found at She Reads Truth is that if we have questions, likely a lot of the community does too. And so if I'm asking, I'm not saying here's the plan that needs to exist, like, and here's what it should look like. I'm going, I have questions. And I think that we need to wrestle these down. So many of our extras, charts and things come from the, I just have a question. And then we answer them with these, with a lot of research. But usually when we have questions, we're not alone. I mean, something that you just said, Amanda, like really hits with me, which is so often we're tempted to kind of go, hey, this is what I know about God. This is what my theological background, my training, my experience in church, whatever it is, this is what I believe is true about God and his word. And then we come to the Bible, and if something doesn't quite fit, our first instinct is to explain it away. And Mm -hmm. what I want to be is a person who's honest with scripture when something doesn't make sense to tell God, hey, this doesn't make sense to me, help me understand. And more times than not, when I do that, what I find is that my original understanding was off. Not in a, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, in a terrible way that I didn't understand, you know, anything at all, but just that, you know, it takes tweaking, it takes fine tuning. It goes, oh, I was thinking of, you know, this passage or this idea in this way, but actually it's a little more nuanced than that. And this is one of those examples. So it wasn't that we're wrong to say, hey, you shouldn't just pick up Jeremiah 29, 11 and put it on your bumper sticker and and then you're good to go. That applies to you. No, it's what this verse says. They are yes in Christ. And so unpacking what that means makes all the difference. Okay. Take us on that journey, John, because First of all, one thing that I really like about Don Greco is that not only when something in scripture doesn't line up, does it not make him scared, it sort of excites him. John gets kind of excited when something doesn't line up because usually there's something to be found there. There's something to be discovered. And when we know and trust that scripture is true and inerrant, then there's like this joy in going like, hey, wait a minute. I bet if I dig in, I'm going to find something wonderful here. Anyway, that was a side note, but I just had to say it because that's something that we really like about John. But John, talk to us about how that actually makes sense. So when you found, like, when you like read that verse and kind of had this moment of, okay, I mean, it says all, then how can you like actually see that to be true? And like, what does that actually mean for me? Yeah. So for our listeners, not just me. (laughs) What does it mean for Rachel? (laughs) What's it mean for Rachel? So the key that I found is that phrase, yes, in Christ. So okay. I'm going to use an example that we actually didn't use in the book, but this is a good way to, you know, a good simple promise that we see how it's true in Christ. And actually, and this is true of most of the promises in Scripture, especially the Old Testament ones, they don't just get fulfilled in Christ, they get blown up, they get bigger, they get more exciting, and the blessing you know, goes beyond what we thought originally was. Like, let's go back to Genesis, because that's my—I always like to go back to Genesis. But if you remember after the fall, when God is pronouncing punishments on the serpent and on the woman and on Adam, he says this to the serpent. This is the ESV. Uh, this is Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And some translations will say you shall crush his head. But it's the idea that the serpent, who we later find out is the devil, is Satan, will strike a descendant of Eve and 
but he will have the final victory. And so, like, this is one that we kind of, in Christian circles, will say, oh, that's Jesus. This is a promise of Jesus. You know, there's, this is considered a fancy Greek word, the proto-euangelion. It's the first gospel, the primary, the first mention of the victory that Christ is going to have. And it's clear, when you get to the New Testament, you know, they're all over the place. It says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, right? And this is, I think that's from First John, where that says that. We just read that. But here's the, like, the cool thing. I expect this to be true of Jesus, but what I didn't expect was that I have a part in it. You have a part in it. So if you go to Romans chapter 16, this is verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So what happens in the New Testament is we get to have a part in crushing Satan. And that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, we will. Yeah, which is such a neat idea because, you know, why? Because again, we're in Christ. We're joined with him. And so not only does Christ fulfill them, but we get to be a part of, of those promises, of those blessings. And so sometimes the New Testament is really great about spelling out how a promise is, you know, one thing in the Old Testament and grows and transforms and becomes something new and bigger and better in the new. Other times it doesn't, and we have to, you know, take what we do know about Christ and his ministry and see how did Christ fulfill this and what does that mean for us? On that same note, I appreciate so much the extra that you all created in this book to teach us how to do what you just did when we find promises in scripture, because scripture is full of promises from God. And I love this extra is called How to Understand the Promises of God in Scripture. And it kind of takes the example of God's covenant to Abram that, you know, I will bless you. And so it takes the example of God's promise to Abram in Genesis 12, where he says, I will bless you. And it gives us kind of principles using that example to apply to all of the promises we find in scripture. So starting with, you know, the reminder that God's promises were originally made to specific people in unique circumstances. So that was a promise that God was speaking to Abram. And so even that reminder itself, and I think that it's on why we prior to doing this reading plan, we're hesitant with things like Jeremiah 29, 11, because we know mm-hmm. that that was spoken to specific people in a specific context. So it isn't that the original context of a promise doesn't matter. It matters greatly, but the extra helps us see how God's promises are true in that context, but they're also even bigger than that because right. of Jesus. Hey friends, Rachel here. By this point, you've heard both Amanda and I go on about our love for skylight frames. We're both huge fans of this simple and beautiful tool that helps keep us connected to our families, even in a season of physical distance. If you don't know, Skylight is a touchscreen photo frame that you can email photos to anytime from anywhere. This beautiful 10-inch frame makes sharing memories with your family really easy and fun. Plus, the whole family can participate by emailing photos to the same frame. Skylight makes for a perfect gift, which is great news considering Mother's Day is right around the corner. As a special Mother's Day offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash truth and enter the code truth. That's right. Get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame by going to skylightframe.com slash truth and enter the code truth. 
That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash truth. Now back to the show. I think so often the phrase even bigger or even better can be true of so many things in scripture and in um, in the Lord. But I think especially this, like I saw it, John, the second to last one. Guys, if you have your study books, this is pages 12 through 15. But one of the points, it says that while all of God's promises are yes in Christ, many of them have been transformed in light of the gospel. And so, John, give us an example of that. Like, what's a promise that maybe from the Old Testament that has been transformed in light of the gospel? Sure. I mean, I'll use the one that we use in this extra because I think it's really powerful. So in the extra we use God's covenant with Abraham, the promises he makes to Abraham. And so on one level, these are kind of things that people often will say, well, that applied specifically to Abraham and therefore to the Jewish people, to ethnic Mm -hmm. Israel, uh, specifically when they're talking about the land of Israel, right? But again, what happens is this gets transformed in the New Testament, you know, because if the promise was this direct, like, well, that's the thing, and so it's exactly that still, yep. then that would mean, you know, that the land, I mean, what would that mean? I mean, sometimes that their promise is just a promise, but like, so in this case, you know, God promised to bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham's seed, right? And so right. we find out, you know, that this is Jesus, that one of Abraham's descendants way down the line is Jesus of Nazareth, and he does indeed bless the world by dying for our sins and offering salvation to people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so that that's part of this, and we would definitely affirm that, And but there's more, right? That he also promised a piece of real estate, and that's not to deny that that was a real promise for God's people in the Old Testament. It was. We see God fulfill it. He brings them into the land, and it becomes theirs, and it's it's always been conditional based on his covenant with them, but... That was a that was a promise in time and space that God fulfilled. But it doesn't end there, right? Because God's promises are all yes in Christ, when we get to the New Testament, what we read is in Romans chapter 4, the promise to Abraham is that he would inherit the world. So it became bigger. It's not just this mm. piece of real estate that's the size of New Hampshire. It is the whole world. And this is, you know, what Jesus is getting at, right? He says, the meek will inherit the earth. And, you know, the Old Testament prophets talked about the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth. And so it just got bigger. And so now we are so in Christ. So this is the even better. Yeah. In Christ, we, this is our inheritance as well. You know, we look forward to a day when God reigns, Christ reigns on the throne in a renewed earth that, mm-hmm. you know, the entire earth is his and acknowledges his dominion. And just in the same way that we so often go back to Genesis in these conversations, we also often look forward to Revelation 21, yeah. which is mm-hmm. the the ultimate fulfillment of that, where we don't need the light because Christ is the light. And, and just the new the, earth is yeah. not limited to a small piece of land, but it's the whole land. Right. I love that. Yep. Everything made okay, new. Later this week, I think on Wednesday, the community is going to read from Joshua, one of my favorites. And a promise that I'm so happy is yes for me too. And it's from Joshua 1.5, where God says to Joshua, I will not leave you or abandon you. And I can't imagine having to set that promise down and let it belong just to Joshua. I like, it makes me feel very tender that that promises from God also to us and that he was speaking to Joshua. He was speaking to his people and in by extension to us. Yeah. One of the supplemental passages for that day is Psalm 73, 
which has some very familiar verses like in verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. But a verse that I have newly fallen in love with is verse 28. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. I love that verse that God's presence is my good. And so along with, you know, just as we see in Joshua's story, that when God said, I will never leave you or abandon you, that had, I'm sure, tender implications for Joshua too. It also had very practical implications that, you know, Joshua was leading them into the promised land. And so for us, it's the same. Like it is an affirmation of our relationship and our security in Christ. But it's also, you know, when it says, when the word says God's presence is my good, that means in all ways, God's presence is my good. And right now when we're in a time where we're not able to be present with a lot of the people we love, I'm not able to be physically present with my mother because Mm -hmm. I don't want to put her in harm's way or at risk with this invisible virus that like we have no way of knowing if we have. But, you know, to remember that my ultimate good is God's presence with me. Yeah. Actually, I want to read because we're talking about these like contexts. And so for a second, let's actually read the context of the Joshua passage, because you're right, Amanda, I think that it had to have been a very tender communication between Joshua and the Lord too. In Joshua chapter one, and I would start in verse three, the Lord says, I've given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. It's so good to read the context. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we read the context, like that, almost the full chapter of Jeremiah 29, so that we could understand how actually rich that promise was. And the same thing here, that the Lord is vowing to Joshua that he will extend the promise that he made to Moses to Joshua and that his presence will go with Joshua and will not abandon him. And this is the thing though, like, so as a, you know, as a kid who grew up going to a conservative Christian school and then, you know, an evangelical college and then, you know, a conservative seminary, I would read this passage and say, okay, this is to Joshua alone. Right. This is something very specific to this situation. I am not free to apply this to myself. But then I get into trouble. And to say, like, even like earlier in that verse, there are other like air quote, like promises. Like it says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Like, do I get to make that a promise to me too? Question mark. Should I not complicate that? No, I mean, I I, I think we go back to it's yes in Christ. And what does that mean in Christ? And so, but what I was going to say before was just that, so I wouldn't pick that up and apply that to myself, right? That would have been my normal stance. But the author of Hebrews does that, right? He says, this is another one of our supplemental passages for this day. Mm -hmm. He says, uh, I'm going to start, this is Hebrews 13, starting the verse five. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So right there in that passage, he's 
picked up that piece from Joshua, and he's saying, this is why you can be satisfied with what you have and don't have to worry about where you're going to get your resources from, because we have this promise in the Old Testament, even though it was spoken specifically to Joshua. So there's something happening where, even though I'm reading it going, well, I shouldn't apply that to me, the author of Hebrews doesn't have that same problem. And so what's happening... What I think is happening is that he's doing just what it says in 1 Corinthians. He's saying this is yes in Christ. Every promise is yes in Christ. And so when you kind of unpack what's going on in Joshua, you know, take a step back and look at all of redemptive history, you kind of realize that, oh, Joshua, not only is his name connected to the name Yeshua, right, Jesus, Mm -hmm. but he, in his life, he is a type of Christ. He is living out in advance, something that Jesus would do on earth. He's taking, so in in the book of Joshua, he's leading the Israelites in a campaign to take the promised land. And in the Gospels, Jesus leads, again, not 12 tribes, but 12 disciples, and he takes back the land not from Canaanites, but from powers of darkness, right? There's all these scenes with Jesus casting out demons and confronting the, the dark spiritual forces. There's a lot of... The, next time we do a gospel, it'll be so fun to unpack a lot of that. But this is... I love that, Jesus yeah. is doing a very Joshua thing, and it's very intentional. And that's why late, like later, you know, after the resurrection, he tells the disciples on the road to Emmaus, like, all the scriptures spoke of me. And this is one way they do. So, you know, if Jesus is the new Joshua, then of course, God the Father will say to Jesus, I will never leave you or abandon you. And then we are connected to Christ. We are in Christ. So, and this is kind of what Jesus gets at, you know, in John... 14, 15, 16, 17, when he, when he has this long teaching slash prayer where he's kind of unpacking kind of how some of this stuff will work. He talks about the Spirit coming and being connected to the Father and the Son and on the Spirit and all being together, right? We are invited into that union. And this is kind of why this is true then, because God will never abandon Jesus, the new Joshua. He will never abandon us either, because Christ's presence is in us, right? Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the Holy Spirit, right? We have God's presence living in and through us. And so everything that was true to Christ is then extended to us by that relationship. And that's such a beautiful thing. And yet we often will like shortchange ourselves. We'll say, well, that was true of Jesus, but you know, God doesn't look at me the same way, right? God doesn't consider me, but over and over again in the New Testament, what does it tell us, right? It says, you are in Christ, you are part of this inheritance, you are adopted by God, and it's all because of that connection, because of that union. So the flip side of that is that instead of saying, that doesn't apply to me, we substitute things from the world that are not, that are lesser promises and that aren't really promises at all, but kind of truisms that we adopt in culture Mm -hmm. and we, we settle for that. And so I'm excited to keep going in this plan over the next three weeks and to see not only how these promises are true in Christ, but also how they are, what you said earlier, Rachel, how they are even better and even truer than what the world tries to tell us are matters of fact or matters of promise. I like the language, John, that you used of shortchanging. Um, and, and I think that there are so many ways, like this is what I'm excited about for this plan, because I think we shortchange ourselves all the time, whether we're dismissing things because they're Old Testament and not for us out of context. And sometimes we shortchange ourselves by believing the world's promises. And so we believe that this too shall pass, or we believe that 
God will never give us more than we can handle, which is such a stinking short change because God's promises are so much better than that, right? And so when I hear that God will never give me more than I can handle and I look around at the world right now, I start to wonder if that's true. And the truth is that it's not. The truth is we face things that we can't handle all the time. We face things that we can't handle every day. And the promise that is even better than that is I will never leave you or abandon you from Joshua and that he will bless us. And that when we seek him, we will find him. Like those are the actual scriptural promises that knock the world's promises out the door. And that's why you're exactly right. I like that language, John, that like we're shortchanging ourselves by, by dismissing God's promises or by agreeing with the world's promises. Yep. Well, I'm excited. So this week, so here we are on Monday. This week, we're going to continue to take a look at Old Testament promises that are fulfilled in Christ. So like the Jeremiah promise that we've talked about, the promise from Joshua. And then next week, we are going to talk about promises that Christ makes to all believers that are also true in Him. And then the third week, we will talk about kingdom promises. So what is true of the kingdom of God that we see? A lot of those come from um, the epistles in the New Testament, but they are really shown throughout the story of Scripture. And so we're going to just, we're using those three categories to go after this topic and to see what we can find in Scripture and what promises are made and to trace those through Scripture and how those are true, not just in their context, but also for us and Jesus. So like week two would be things like, I will be with you always, like things that Jesus said, or I will give you peace and rest, or, and this one I think is so important to include in this week, in this world, you will have trouble. I think the title for that week is you will have suffering in this world. And there's a promise even attached to that, that we're going to get to talk about next week. And then that third week, like examples of that, the kingdom promises are things like our promise of adoption into Christ's family and our promise of provision from the Lord and our promise that he is going to bring goodness from every broken and twisted thing. And so like, Digging into those next week and the week following, I'm pumped. I'm in. And the other thing to remember, too, is like the, our goal for this plan was not to present an exhaustive list of every promise in Scripture. The hope here is that as folks read these Scriptures that we've collected, that they will have a greater sense of how God's promises work, what it means for something to be fulfilled in Christ. And, you know, so when, when they come across a promise that, you know, isn't in this plan, they, they start looking for how is this fulfilled in Christ? What does this mean for me today? And we get away from that, you know, the, we don't want to just take every promise we read and pull it directly out of context and put it on a bumper sticker. But we also don't want to be cynical and say, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me. This only applies to the person it was originally spoken to, and there's nothing for me here. Because the whole Bible is good news, right? It's all true. It's all, every promise is yes in Christ, no matter how many, right? And so that's, that's the fun part of it. So we've, we've given, it's a little bit like a variety pack, three different types of promises and the, the hope connected to each one. And it's a primer on how to go forward and read these for ourselves, which is which is our goal, right? Women and men in the Word of God every day. And so this is how to read God's promises. So I'm excited. I just couldn't be more pleased. I like I knew that we needed something, and I never could have put it together the way y'all did. And I am excited that this is not just a reading plan 
that we normally do, but it is such an equipping resource so that as we come out of these three weeks of really important daily visitation of God's word and his promises, but to come out of that like equipped to better approach scripture at any time, I mean, just all the high fives and thumbs ups. Way to go. Speaking (laughs) of high fives and thumbs ups. Let's talk about things that we're seeing around us, beauty, goodness, and truth. We've talked about beauty, goodness, and truth that we see in Scripture, and I want to know where you guys are seeing beauty, goodness, and truth around you, Rachel. I'm excited to do this because I want our listeners, you guys, this week, make a practice of this because these are hard times, and this is the time to be on the lookout for beauty, goodness, and truth. So if you are listening, I know that it's fun to have this little segment at the end of the episode, but... I want you guys every day this week to look for beauty, goodness, and truth around you and also in the word, but do this because it helps. This is going to help a lot. I will tell you mine for today is water. And by that, I don't mean drinking it. I love to drink water, favorite beverage, but I like floating in water and swimming. Like it's, it's getting to be warmer weather. And it makes me think of all the summers past where even as a kid, I would like dive into the deep end of the pool that we went to and just like suspend in water and feel that like weightlessness and that like carefreeness. And even now, like as a grown up person, I will, if I'm given the chance, go to a pool and float, just like face up and like go away for 10 minutes if I can, because it just feels so good to be still and held by water. And if you can't get that, go take a bath in your bathtub if you have one. But I don't know, like to me, like there's like beauty, goodness and truth in just like the gift of water from God. I'm so thankful for it. Is that a weird one? Is that weird? Should I always just do food? (laughs) No, no, you're allowed to, you're allowed to find beauty, goodness and truth in things that are not edible. And there is not anything to link to for this one, but I don't know. I, I challenge Sarah or Ellen who are doing our show notes to link to water. There. <laughs> It'll be great. Maybe a nice GIF. GIF, GIF? GIF. Whole different conversation. All right. Okay. What do you have, John? This is going to be low-hanging fruit, but I just love, you know, because we're we're working from home and I'm spending a lot more time at home than, than I used to in, in days gone by. I just love my kids. And I have been reminded a couple times how this past week, just how they view the world and how they're, you know, just the innocence and the, you know, the really smart things they say that are just, so like my middle son, Jude, he's three, just turned three in February. And he, we're we're working on keeping his room clean. And so the other day. We're also working on that in our house. And so the other day. As grownups. The other day he came down and and I hadn't been up to his room, so I hadn't seen what it looked like. And I just kind of said, hey, Jude, how's your room looking, bud? And he thought about it for a second, and he knows, like, well, if it's not looking good, I'm in trouble, right? And he wasn't going to lie to me either. And he, so he looked at me real real innocently and big eyes and said, it's medium, daddy. And that was his, like, that was his, like, <laughs> way to <laughs> try to fend off. It's so medium. Super cute. But it just reminded me, like, you know, there's all these heavy things going on in the world. And, like, I'm so thankful that, like, it's not for them, right? They don't really get what's going on. And they're they're getting to be kids. And all this means for them right now is that daddy's home more. And so they love that. And mm-hmm. I love being able to see them. So it was just a reminder that there's still this, like, wide-eyed innocence. And, you know, the biggest problem in the world for Jude right now is that his room might be a little messy and, you know. He might get talked to, but. 
I like that. It's medium. I also am working on cleaning my room. Fair. But, it's you know, a good we, all goal. Have, we all have areas for growth. It's good. It's a lofty goal. What um, do you got, Amanda? Well, we love music in our house. I've said that before. But I, one thing that I've loved about this season of everyone being confined to their homes is that we've gotten to see kind of just stripped back versions of creative people doing what they do best and being creative. And I love being able to see the kind of creative process in like a raw, fresh way instead of the produced way that we're used to. And one example of that, which is, it's a couple weeks old at this point, but we can still link to it. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Lin-Manuel Miranda had like a piano playoff on Twitter a little while ago, and <laughs> which is hilarious to begin with. But Andrew Lloyd Webber just sat down and played, actually, I think it was separate from the playoff, but the piano playoff is what made me fall into the rabbit hole of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Twitter feed, where I'd never been before. And he was just like so many other artists, just kind of taking requests and playing things from his home. So there's this video of him playing All I Ask of You on his home piano. And he's not singing, he's just doing the instrumental. And it was so breathtaking to me. I've returned to it a few times since and just watched it. And there's just something really healing for me. There's something about music that's really healing for me. And in this time when there's a lot of chaos in the world, I really love being able to just sit and listen to music. And there's something too about listening to music as it's being performed, which we can't do in a live situation right now because, you know, all gatherings are banned at this point. But just to be able to be part of that moment is really cool. So I'm just loving music right now. We'll link to it. When you said that you were loving listening to artists give stripped back versions of their music, I thought that you were going to talk about Ben Rector playing the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> that was also full of beauty goodness. Which was and an additional. Question mark. <laughs> question mark. Uh, but I mean, I LOL'd. So yeah. yeah, it was really good. But that's a great example where he's just going to this empty house that he happens to own and write music in and plays the piano and sings for us. And there's like a vulnerability to that that I really find compelling, but it's just like a, a fresh bit of beauty for each day for us. And I, I love it. I agree. All right, guys. Well, next week, we're going to tackle some beautiful promises from the mouth of Christ. And then after that, we're going to look at kingdom promises like we talked about. And then following that, believe it or not, talk about God's timing. We are going to open the book of Ecclesiastes together. I mean, we can't have written this timing better. Better? I don't know if that's the way to say it, but it'll be very interesting to approach the very existential book of Ecclesiastes after this plan. We're looking forward to it. We're grateful for you guys. Go find all the links and all the scripture that we've talked about in the show notes at shereadstruth.com slash podcast. And until then, Amanda, what do we tell them? Keep opening your Bibles.